0: my god, why do we still have to record? It's Fantastic Fest. Why are we still recording digital noise, Chris? Oh, I've been up since 7 a.m. I think it's like 3 in the morning. I don't even know anymore. I'm so <sighs> tired.
1: Oh, well, I think it's next Sunday already. What is going on? Any given Sunday.
0: <sighs> you know what? You better goddamn have a beer.
1: There's beer. Let's get beer. theater turkeys you just tuned into the smoothest hippest and most out of side blu-ray and dvd podcasts across this superfly cyber dream quilt we call the internet dream quilt yeah i like it superfly dream quilt i'm your host brian salisbury the don cornelius of vhs and i am joined by the isaac hayes of those blu-rays mr christopher lawrence cox what's up baby what it do i don't know why i'm on a Soul theme right now, but I am sleep deprived and it is thundering like a motherfucker. Yeah, it's about all of a sudden, down out there. Sorry for the storm special effects. The tempest looms. There's not
0: a lot in the way of horror. I don't think there's any horror this this uh, episode. There, there's one. Oh, the, you're right. There's there one.
1: there is one, but not
0: a particularly horror themed episode.
1: No, not at all. But uh, just for for the sake of uh, special effects, here's nature. <laughs> Why not? I want to remind you guys that uh, we are available on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast, and you can follow the website at OneOfUsNet. You can also like the website on Facebook, Facebook.com slash OneOfUsNet. Please do consider becoming a subscriber to OneOfUs.net. That's how we continue to bring you the content that you love so much. There's a little icon there in the sidebar that'll explain every level of subscription and exactly how all that Jive stuff works. I am so tired. <laughs> oh my god it hasn't even out. started yet
0: They're, the words are coming together it, it's
1: completely automatic at this point it's just like the a switch yeah come on yeah, yeah. why can't you have the voices Scarlett johansson damn it <laughs> <laughs> because then this would be awkward for both of us
0: I'd well with
1: it yeah well i'm sure you would well we have no groovy transmissions from the letterbox this week yeah, we do Oh, we do. Yeah,
0: I put up a post on the oh. on the Facebook. Page.
1: Well, then Chris did a good job of uh, doing that, and I did a terrible job of knowing that he did that.
0: Like I said, we're tired,
1: fucking exhausted. You've
0: been picking up Fantastic Fest people all day from the airport.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I've uh, I've been dashing back and forth to the airport like some sort of drug dealer, or all of the best. Do? I don't know. I don't know what drug dealers do. They just mm. they do things. Uh, we have a question here. From uh, Christopher Herman, who says, Is there a television show that you think gets too much hate? That gets too much Too hate? much hate. Kind of the opposite of the question we normally get.
0: Yeah, I'd say Family Guy, quite frankly. Yeah? I mean, like, I understand it's not to some people's tastes the comedy style of it, but Jesus Christ, the amount of, like vitriol that spewed at it is like baffling to me I'm like mm. seriously you just don't think it's funny end of story calm yeah.
1: down yeah I mean I took I took exception to Seth MacFarlane like actively doing things to put a middle finger up in the face of his fans but other than that d- despite that I still watch the show so and I watch reruns of the show so I guess I can't say too much
0: even if I didn't like it and mm-hmm. I only watch it occasionally I'd still say like seriously people calm down Yeah, it's just a television show
1: I You know what, I'm gonna go with, with uh, Smallville, because I know it's not a great show, but I enjoyed it, and I feel like it's one of those, it was like right at the beginning of comics kind of starting to go mainstream, and there was a backlash of like, no, you can't have it, that's ours, fuck you, pretty boy, and it was like, okay, but I still think it's kind of a decent show, it went off the rails, it didn't, I didn't like where it ended, but... I still had a lot of fun with it. I Fuck thi- you,
0: Brian. You're wrong. There you go. You're a piece of shit.
1: There it is. That. Obviously, it doesn't get too much hate. That's what we've <laughs> clarified here today. I'm just kidding. I've watched like three episodes
0: of Smallville, so I got nothing to say about
1: it. Somebody save me from this question. Uh, the next one comes from Luis Gonzalez Cruz. Uh, I loved your work in the Spanish version of Mission Impossible. What movie gets better with every new viewing? Wow. That's a tough question. I actually have one right off the the bat that I can think of because it's something I noticed a few weeks ago uh, is The World's End. Every time I watch The World's End, I love it more and more and more. And I notice more of Edgar Wright's little bookend jokes that he does in all of his movies, but the specific ones that he does in The World's End are very poignant and I like it a lot. And I'm starting to think that it might be my favorite of the trilogy. As much as I love Shaun of the Dead, every time I watch The World's End, especially like as soon as that opening prologue ends and you see Gary King sitting there in the uh in the group therapy session it just it something about it i'm like man this is this is really effective and the music is tremendous and yeah i love the sci-fi concept of it it's great
0: i guess for me i i can't really say that that's true of any movie there's a point where like there's lots of movies where the second or third time i liked it better than the first time but you know i don't think there's anything that after that point i said oh yeah it continues to get better after that i'm always like yeah it kind of just it either kind of middles off or actually it starts going the other way where i'm like okay now i'm just sick of seeing
1: this. you have like an enjoyment plateau pretty much it's like it's here and that's as far as it's gonna go folks yeah, sorry about honey,
0: that a film you're gonna have to wait for at least 30 minutes before i'm ready again <laughs> <laughs>
1: well those were your transmissions from the letterbox thank you very much for your questions and now we're going to move on as we so often do to the uh, reviews i can't i can't you even can't finish even do
0: it. you can't do it you're geez,
1: oh my god it's been a, be right. it's been a long week Someone and get
0: this man some alcohol Stop.
1: right okay <laughs> We're going to be okay here. The first movie we're going to talk about here, I'm going to take a deep breath uh, as we talk about Doctor Who, a deep breath. Can you believe it? I got I got Brian to watch a Doctor Who episode. Yeah, pretty pretty phenomenal turn of events here. Something to mark on your calendars, kids. I have now seen an episode of Doctor Who. Well,
0: it's funny, like... Because you you were telling me earlier, it's like, man, everybody always tells me, like, just start with them, any new Doctor. You told me that, and I did, and I still didn't know what the fuck
1: was going yeah, on. Yeah, it's like, no, just start you know, start with any new Doctor. Okay, that's great. That, that clears up the problem I had with, well, there are 40 years of continuity am I going to be missing out on? And it's like, no, just start with any Doctor. I'll start with Capaldi. He's the newest one. The first episode opens with a dinosaur in London, and I'm like... Yep, no idea what's going on here. Well, that's Doctor Who for you, though. That's the absurdism of the whole thing. That, like, shit like that just fucking happens all the time. So it's it's not connected to anything that happened at the end of the last Doctor's run?
0: Well, I mean, they explained it during the episode that, like, they were like going through time and they were stuck they were in the wherever T-Rexes are from Pleistocene era I don't even know Jurassic <laughs> whatever
1: I'm sure Jurassic Park <laughs> was like more of a catch all yeah no it's it's not factually accurate I don't think no. I don't think they were Tyrannosauri but in basically Jurassic the box period. got
0: swallowed by the T-Rex while they were flashing around through time and then they moved to this time and they took the T-Rex with it that's mm-hmm. how the episode starts with this giant T-Rex in the middle of modern day London oh no I'm sorry not modern day London Victorian London yeah coughing up the TARDIS. Yeah,
1: very much a, uh, a clockwork type of London going on here.
0: Well, this is definitely the most steampunk yet episode yeah. of Doctor Who, is when we eventually get around to seeing who the villains are, it's basically a bunch of aliens that have been here for a really long time, are not really... I think at one point the Doctor calls them, like, you're pretty much rubbish aliens.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: it's like, they're like, steamwork creations like steampunk creations that have been gradually adding to themselves by killing humans and taking parts from them as well as trying to build their escape ship over the centuries out of human parts and the episode's not ultimately really about them as is so often true for a lot of the Doctor Who beginning episodes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Peter Capaldi. He's the doctor. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Whenever they become a new doctor, they always are like, ah, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I am. What's going on? Who are you? What's... Yeah. What's They get a little bit of like reincarnation. uh Jet lag. Uh, jet lag, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So like the episodes are basically about him starting to connect with that, about Clara, his companion, starting to go, this is not what the fuck is going on. Who is this guy? I don't understand. I was kind of falling in love with the old guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does the... Only time I'm aware this has ever happened. There's actually an appearance by the previous Doctor in this one. See, I didn't know if that was a, a trademark
1: or something that did no. special for this one. As far
0: as I know, this is this is a that that's a first. Huh? To, to I mean, they crossed over back over before, mm-hmm. but never in the sense of like, oh, it's the crossover episode, and then the guy comes back briefly to say, oh, okay, it's all right, chill out, bitch.
1: Yeah, I think the parts yeah. of this I enjoyed the most were Capaldi dealing with. That uh, that jet lag we mentioned, because he says really funny things like, "No, no, n- not you. the the other one, the one that's not me. the one the one that talks but isn't me." Uh, he's just talking about Clara. And yeah. That's he can't like he's having such a hard time formulating any kind of proper noun whatsoever. Uh, and I enjoyed that about it. And I I even kind of enjoyed the the wanton campiness of it. Like there's not a lot of attempt to make every special effect look. You know, pristine. I mean, it's very clearly a campy show. The
0: television show. A giant T Rex rampaging around London is just not going to look perfect. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, it's it's true. But there's you know a lot of weird characters that uh, I just I don't know. I I didn't feel quite as lost I guess as I thought I would, and I did in- enjoy it for the most part. But. I don't know. I guess I'll have to see where the next adventure of this Doctor takes us, which if you, if the uh, stinger at the end is to believe is already going to involve Daleks. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, you can't have a new Doctor not deal with the Daleks pretty shortly into their run. I mean, they are unquestionably the most popular Doctor Who villain of all time. Start your show off with the Dalek. <laughs> when you, A Dalek. When you go and watch the, some of the documentaries in the previous releases that where they focus on, like, you know, the early days and what happened with Doctor Who as it was getting popular. Like, mm-hmm. it was starting to get popular and people were getting crazy about it, but when the Daleks came out people lost their fucking minds I mean they really did in England they lost their shit over the Daleks I was like Really? Cause I'm kind of more of a weeping angel guy myself.
1: Giant studded mobile dildos. That is what <laughs> England has always wanted to see on television. Pretty much. And that's finally what Doctor Who had the balls to give them. But
0: as a you know, a long time Doctor Who fan, I gotta say, I was kinda disappointed with the first episode, but I'm always kind of disappointed with the first new Doctor episode. Not because there's a change of Doctor. I'm used to that by now. I've been watching these things since Tom Baker. But they're always not. It always feels like they don't have their feet under them yet. As mm-hmm. writer, they don't really know how to work with this guy, and it usually takes several episodes in any new doctor before they really kind of find how to work with the guy. And I think the writing for the doctor was fine. Peter Capaldi's fine in the role. The plot was just so eh, of the actual what was going That's true. on That's that true. I was like, okay, we're just kind of pushing through this episode at this point.
1: Yeah. I did like, uh, there are a couple of lines where Peter Capaldi talks to beasts and creatures and and does so reverently, whereas when he talks to humans, he's a complete tool. Like, he, he jumps down to a, a guy with a horse and a carriage, and he wants to steal the horse, and he goes, I'm relieving you of your pet. And the guy goes, what did you say? And he goes, shut up, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I thought that was funny. The doctors, there have been several of the doctors
0: who are a little not as nice to humans as, as mm-hmm. others. You know, they all ultimately like hanging out with them, but sometimes they can be kind of disparaging, and it appears that's the kind of Doctor we've got now. Kind of a a cranky old Doctor. A cranky Doctor. But, you know, it's weird that they actually put this out on Blu-ray separately, because usually you don't really get... Like, they'll do the separate releases with, like, the Christmas episodes, or the, like... Sometimes, like, if they do a very special thing or even a, sometimes a season finale. But doing the first episode of a season is kind of strange. But I guess it was just that much anticipation. And they actually theatrically released this as well. So you could, like, simulcast from see, see it in theaters when they put it out like they did with the final episode. But, like, one nice thing about this is, like, a lot of the, uh, the Doctor Who episodes now, they do prequel episodes online where you can, like, little, little bits to, like give you a taste of what's coming and this you they include it with it so you can watch it with that prequel scene which Mm -hmm. it it turns out to be a nice little introduction to the doctor as as uh one of the characters gives you a sort of like overview of all the doctors in a very humorous sort of way. And there's you know what the expected the the behind the scenes, uh there's a Doctor Who live bit I did not get a chance to watch. I don't even know what that is. It says the next doctor and then there's another sort of historical look back at the Doctor, the real history of sci fi time. So Overall, despite the fact I thought this was just kind of an okay
1: episode, they put together a halfway decent little set to go with it. Fantastic. Well, Doctor Who, Peter Capaldi, welcome to the suck. Um, <laughs> I'm, not awesome. s- I'm not saying Doctor Who sucks, it's just the line You're from a Jarhead. Monster. I am a monster. <gasps> that was deep breath, and now we're going to move on to Crossbones Season 1. Oh, this is about,
0: uh, about Grillo, right? About Rumlow? No. No? No, oh. it's not a Captain America <laughs> thing. This is actually Sad. about Blackbeard.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. With John Malkovich as, as, ca- as, as Blackbeard. Black older Blackbeard. Let me, let me take a guess. I'm going to just go out on a limb and guess that he has a weird accent in this. No, no. No? Really. John Malkovich without a weird accent. He's pretty
0: much just doing John Malkovich here.
1: Oh, okay. You know, all um, right. Which
0: is fine. I'd rather him just
1: be John Malkovich. I would too, but it seems like every movie he does, he has to have a weird accent. Nah, he's just pretty much Malkovich. Um, yeah, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich.
0: Uh, and the idea here is that it's... Blackbeard has already supposedly been killed, but a guy who works for the the British is like, I am certain that he's not actually dead. And he sends out a sort of master spy type character uh, played by the, I forget the actor's name. He played Jeff on Coupling, uh, one of the funniest sitcom actors ever, like ever in the history of ever, playing a very (laughs) serious role here and playing it. I I mean, between him and uh, Malkovich, the show's worth watching on its own because they're both so intense but he's sent out to basically infiltrate to find blackbeard to infiltrate his compound which is this whole pirate island he lives on and eventually find a point where he can kill kill blackbeard and get away the thing is is that like he's you know i mean he's an atheist he's kind of a like he's a super intelligent guy who has his own doubts about politics and the way things are. And when he meets Blackbeard, despite the fact that he's still, you know, he's a devoted agent to the kingdom. He starts to have doubts clearly because you know, whether or not he's psycho is another, is a question we haven't, we we don't see answered. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, despite the stories, but he's certainly in this intriguing figure with a lot of big ideas about personal freedom and things like that, 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 you know, as an audience member, you're meant to find intriguing, and certainly the character of the spy it finds intriguing as well. Plus, he gets the hots for a chick on the island, and there's a lot of characters in here. And some of the other storylines and the subplots aren't as interesting, but for a show that got canceled after one season, this is still really worth watching. It's a lot of fun watching John Malkovich just... Ham it up like crazy as as Blackbeard as this is one, and he's so good at it. And you know, there's a lot of good action in it. There's a lot of like fun little plot devices, and just the tension between those two characters is kind of palpable. It really is a shame this got canceled and Black sales got renewed because I th- I found Black sales like I could barely get through the fifth episode.
1: I didn't know either one of those things were shows until we started talking about it. The
0: difference being while this is also sexy at points (laughs) Black Sales is we're on a pay network sexy. So it's like Every opportunity is a sex scene.
1: This is more like we have John Malkovich sexy, so deal with that. Yeah,
0: Malkovich is sexy in his way. I like that we're talking about pirates
1: and pirate islands, and then like this.
0: Malkovich has got a John Luke Picard sexy. You know, (laughs) (laughs) engage, engage. But Uh, yeah, no Crossbone season one, even though it's all it is, is still really worth watching. It really is, and if you like, you're a fan of John Malkovich. It's great work from him. It really is. A lot of fun. And I thought I was totally bored with pirates, and this actually kind of gave me a little more taste for it. I'm just sad that. It didn't get picked up. Clearly,
1: I mean, you have not seen Stagnetti's Revenge. Uh, no, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't it, I didn't even know this. I didn't
0: even know the show existed until they offered to send me the DVD of it, which I think is probably illustrates the problem why it got canceled. Quite
1: well, yeah, clearly. I was looking it up and it says it was broadcast on NBC. Yeah, never I didn't even remember. Heard of it. Yeah, I didn't remember hearing about it or seeing no. a single promo. I mean,
0: you couldn't miss the Black Sale. Well, you did, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I could. Yeah. I couldn't miss
0: the Black Sale stuff. It was everywhere. It was on banner ads at Comic Con. It took over. For half of it, like, oh yeah, it was everywhere. But this, nothing, and yeah. and Black sails is just kind of dull. This is really fun.
1: And for the record, that actor's name is Richard Coyle. Yeah, the Richard one Coyle. And I, I actually look at him his picture. I recognize him because he's the British actor I always think is Andy Circus. Ah. I always see him I'm like that's it. Oh wait, no, that's not Andy. He's
0: like Andy Circus with more of a fro. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is what the world is crying out for right yeah, now. Yeah, we
0: needed that. We needed more fro Circus.
1: <laughs> Well, moving on from Crossbones season one, we're going to talk about Baby Blues. Question Baby
0: mark? Blues.
1: Baby uh, Blues.
0: This is a Japanese horror film. Oh, Baby Blues. <laughs> that is would be I'd be excited about if it had happened ten years ago, but it's happening now, which means. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is going to be good, kids. All Buckle right. up. So here you go. Despite having moderately high production value for this film, mm. the idea being there's this just a Dorb's married couple. You know, they're uh-huh. like, oh, they're so happy together. And they want to have babies and all the things that married couples, I guess they do. <laughs> <I> wouldn't know. <laughs> uh be more jaded. And they move into this beautiful new house and this old hobo outside, who for some reason they treat with enormous amounts of respect, is like... You don't want to move there. His house has got bad juju or what the fuck ever. It's don't go don't go in there. You're going to move out. I'm telling you you should do it now.
1: So he's a helpful hobo.
0: I, yeah, I guess that's the I guess it's the whole venerate your elders type thing. Yeah. Despite
1: the fact that they continue to let him live in a ditch outside their house. But, but, but they realize that nobody listened to Ralph on Friday the 13th. It's got a death curse. Yeah, they should have listened to Ralph. You should have listened to Ralph. I think it was actually Ralph the whole time. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been an amazing <laughs> twist if you yeah. find out in Friday the 13th part 2 it's like, "Oh, it's just Ralph." Yeah.
0: Hey guys! Hey hey! Hey, hey, hey buddy beer! Hey hey, Ravi boy! Uh and the deal is, they get in the house like, "Hey, this is box of stuff the previous owners left." Like, "Ah, you can have it if you want." And it's this, like kind of creepy-looking Japanese doll. And the woman's like, "Oh, this is cute. I love it." But the doll's got these really blue eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, get it, they They like no, blue no. Eyes. I'm putting the pieces together. Um, and uh, the doll's cursed, and there's a whole backstory with people who died because of the doll. <laughs> yada yada yada. The doll, like, there's this bad CG animation they keep doing every time the doll has arbitrarily decided that someone should get hurt, maimed, or killed, with the doll spinning around looking diabolical and pointing. And you're like, okay. Which ends up being a sort of thing like, oh, this ties into the backstory. In no way that's important.
1: (laughs) And that the doll's name is Susan, and they just put it on a lazy Susan.
0: And they do pretty much, actually. Oh, really? It's actually, is a like kind of a lazy Susan like thing. Oh, okay. Doll. Yeah. All right. Yeah, like a spin the bottle, but with a diabolical evil doll. <laughs> uh, uh, and um, they uh, have, they get, she, they get pregnant. I, I guess that's what baird couples say, right? Like, we got pregnant.
1: Yeah, yeah, even though only one of them is actually pushing a kid out of their vagina. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's like, why don't you try opening an umbrella up your ass? <laughs> <laughs> I will not, but I, I will sympathize. Try passing a bowling ball. <laughs> 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 Quoting the great Robin Williams. Well done.
0: Um, and one of the babies dies, and the girl kind of goes crazy because they have twins, and uh, she decides that the doll is the other twin. Oh, good. Things get worse from there. It's almost all about (laughs) possession, and there's all this (laughs) postpartum stuff, and that's the other meaning of baby blues. The doctor refers to, like, postpartum depression as the baby blues. Oh, boy. "Eh, uh." Anyway, this is really pretty. It's not tedious in the same way a lot of the J-horrors have been lately, where it's Mm. like, nothing is fucking happening in this film. It's like, okay, stuff's happening, but it's just not that interesting. And it's very slick, slickly made. And the CG doesn't even look terrible. There's just too much of it. Like, I, I admit, the doll is creepy looking. And there even is a few scenes that are gen- genuinely a little on the freaky side. But overall... This is just a tired retread of things people have done a hundred times better in the past.
1: Well, though. and it, it doesn't help that we in this country have had the Conjuring with Annabelle. Yeah, and Annabelle kind of takes the cake for contemporary evil dolls. dolls. Yeah, or
0: trilogy of Terror Dolls. Trilogy of Terror. Or the Magic <laughs> Doll. <or whatever. laughs>
1: Junkie, yeah, that's for God's. You sakes. know what? That's right. Go just go watch Magic. Don't watch Baby Blues. Just go watch Anthony Hopkins yes. in Magic. Yes, agreed. And you will. You will. You will be glad you did. Yeah, there aren't as many Asian people in it, but still. There's not, as it turns out. <laughs> well, A Long Way From Baby Blues is A Long Way Down, the suicidal feel-good comedy of the year.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is uh, adapted by a Nick Horn from a Nick Hornsby book, and I did not yeah. even realize that when I was watching it, because I was kind of halfway watching the credits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should do. Hold on. I'm just going to do one more text. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, this is the world we live in. You know, this... I mean, the Hornsby stuff is always kind of bittersweet. and It's always about... Always ends up with a feel-good type of thing. But, but I feel gen, generally not in a way that feels too triacly. Mm-hmm. And honestly, even though this got kind of mediocre reviews, I, I felt that this, you know, may be the weakest of the Hornsby films we've seen so far, but still fit in with that quality of Hornsby. That yeah, that was pretty decent. Some interesting characters having some kind of dark problems and then, you know, ends up wrapped up in a neat little bow but not in a way that didn't feel genuine.
1: Right. No, it's, you know, the setup alone here I thought was really clever and something I hadn't seen before. Uh, The plot begins with a man played by Pierce Brosnan who uh, clearly was famous at one time because he keeps talking about how people know him. And he's making his way to the top of this building and it becomes clear that he's about to kill himself. And while he's up there, there's another woman who's like, oh, I'm sorry, should I just wait my turn? She's also up there to kill herself. Tony Collette. Yes. And then a third woman comes running out of the door seeing that there are two other people in the spot where she's planning on killing herself. The actress with our favorite name in the world. Imogene Poots. <laughs> yes, she does. It's adorable. And while they're all standing up there arguing about who's going to go first, they hear another voice and see that Aaron Paul is also up there to kill himself. And he, yeah. he lets everyone know that he's up there because he has terminal brain cancer. And they strike a pact. That they are not going to kill themselves until next Valentine's Day. This happens, I believe, at, at Christmas time.
0: Yeah, and they're like, "We'll support." Well, I think it's New Year's Eve.
1: The New Year's, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And they're like, "Okay, we'll try and support each other to get through this, and like, and just see if we can improve our lives with each other's helps,
1: to help until which, yeah, and would be you know, triply if that was the whole thing. But then yeah. they go. And we're going to make money off of it, <laughs> which is where sort of the dark humor comes in. Because it's like they go on, a, on the talk show circuit telling people like, no, it was an angel that stopped us from doing it. Oh, the afterlife. Let's be famous for that. So, I mean, it's kind of like how it spirals out of control from there. And I really like that about it because it wasn't just uh, drama for the sake of drama. Like they did add a really sort of twisted comedic edge to it.
0: And this is the only film where you genuinely feel sorry for a pedophile. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Pierce Brosnan's character is like... I mean, has that old cliche. It's like, she told me she was 25! <laughs> you know, it's like... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's a famous news guy, and he gets busted with a, you know, uh, probably... I don't think they ever th- say I think he was like 16, 17, just barely underage girl yeah. who could easily pass for being older. And he's like, he got totally fucked. Lost his job, lost his friends, Lost it, lost everything because of it. And I was like, yeah... I actually have met people that's happened to, <laughs> and that's not...
1: Ask for ID, not man. Cool. Ask, Ask for, for ID. ID.
0: Exactly. Um, all the characters are interesting enough, and everybody's holding on to secrets, and there's a lot of, like, you know, these people are really broken, but it doesn't mire itself in that. Mm-hmm. It's just the way a lot of other Hornsby books are, uh, stories are, that it goes, it manages to... Pretty smoothly go back and forth from sort of darker context stuff to like funny lighter stuff. And like I said, well I feel like this is the least of the films adapted. Uh, Nick Hornsby stuff's been adapt- adapted from. It's still pretty enjoyable overall. It's yeah. nice to see Pierce
1: Brosnan in a lead role again. Yeah, and and that's the thing is I feel like they make these characters real enough that you buy them both at their at their weirdest and at their at their darkest. Like you buy them in their moments of just. Like, you buy Imogene Poots when she's just completely out of her mind. It doesn't have a filter whatsoever and just says yeah, ridiculous she's things. crazy club girl. Yeah, but you also buy her... Like, you buy why she was up there in the first place. And, you know, I I kind of like that balance a lot. And, and overall, I thought... I mean, it wasn't tremendous. Like, it didn't really, like, shake me to my core or anything. But I thought it was a really solidly put-together uh, dramedy. And I thought particularly... Aaron Paul turned in a really great performance, and not that I had any doubts. I mean, we we watched him for six seasons on Breaking Bad, do an amazing performance. But when you when you fall into that type of character, who's very much like a a broadly drawn ghetto kid, and it just feels kind of you, you know, it, it's hard to think that maybe that's just not Aaron Paul. So yeah. when you it's when he steps outside of that and plays a character like this, who's far more grounded and down to earth, just as flawed, arguably. But you start to see, like, the where his talent really lies.
0: Agreed. And, you know, uh, he's not playing that type of character. No, not certainly. at all. Um, and a lot of, I feel like in many ways, like, everybody else is much more forthcoming with who they are and what their reasons are. And he's the guy who's really the most closed off. And ultimately, mm-hmm. it's kind of about, ends up being about unlocking what's going on with this guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a long way down, and moving on, we're going to talk about a movie whose title is where I believe the secret recipe for Twinkies is kept, and that's God's Pocket. God's Pocket. Really?
0: You like Twinkies that God's much? God's Pocket. I'm, I'm that weird guy. I think Twinkies are kind of repulsive unless they're Twinkie? fried. Oh. Really? Yeah. They're repulsive unless they're fried? And even then, they're still a little repulsive. A little... God's
1: re- God's Pocket. <laughs> What is this movie about? Or I'm just going to keep doing Jim Gaffigan. This is a uh,
0: movie directed by John, Slatter, Slatter, Slatter? Yes. <laughs> yeah, John yeah, Slattery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Mad Men. Yeah, who plays Ro-
1: <coughs> Excuse Roger. Me, Roger Sterling. Yeah. My personal hero. Uh,
0: I believe this is his debut as a director. I'm not 100% on that. But um, it's adapted from a previously existing novel, and it's also one of the last uh, films we're going to see with. uh um, boy. This is horrible. I can't remember. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Boy, I'm a dick. Uh,
1: <laughs> I think this is his last
0: lead role, like where he's like the primary character, but I'm not 100% about that. Uh, this is a, very much a sort of noiry character-based thing. About, I mean, this feels like like they handed it to Ben Affleck first is what it feels like. You know, like, hey, this is a movie, a bunch of noir scumbags scumbags in, in a Boston-like place. Mm-hmm. You know, the small working man's town. And it's very competent, and I don't mean that in sort of like a like a trying to be insulting sort of way. Uh, like it's very competently made, and there's some really beautifully well done things about this film, especially the cinema, some of the cinematography I thought was really gorgeous, and the way the director Slattery worked with the actors. I mean, he just got some great interplay with them. But ultimately, the plot felt a little slight because it just seems to be going all over the place with tone, Mm -hmm. with like the different subplots and what's happening with all these characters. And by the end you're like, I guess it wrapped it up, but I don't really feel like it wrapped it up. Yeah. Uh, And you starts with the death of a child. You see that like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid who was like, you know, a young man has died uh, and he's at the funeral with his wife played by the always incredibly knock 'em dead gorgeous Christina
1: Hendricks my though, wife yeah even
0: though she's playing it completely frumpy here she's as frumpy as she's
1: capable <laughs> she's not capable of going total frump
0: no no even with a sports bra <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs>
0: um and really it, testing it, the limits of that sports it flashes back but it's a weird thing because like usually that's sort of the way when a movie starts with a flashback it's like close to the end of the movie and that isn't at all it's like not really anyway um it goes to, okay, so the kid's still alive, and it turns out he's this complete douchebag. He's Uh-oh. at work, and he's... What?
1: No, he's just a complete douchebag. Oh, okay. That's too bad. I,
0: I, I thought maybe the, the, the system crashed. Oh, no, lightning, we've been killed. Um, yeah, I knew it was going to happen.
1: Yeah, eventually. <laughs> I should stop cursing God all the time. <laughs> but we are broadcasting from inside God's pocket, Indeed, so we have we. that at least.
0: It's, it's like a Hot Pocket, but better. God's Pocket... So you see the kid at work, he's this douche, he's fucking with everybody, he's fucking with this black guy, where old black guy works there, calling him, you know, the N-word, which I can't say because I'm a white person.
1: Yeah, you um, just really just shouldn't say Yeah, it.
0: I can't even, you can't even say it if you're singing along with a rap song, it is against <laughs> the rules. <laughs> Pretty I much, yeah. I didn't make the rules, I'm just saying, those are against the rules. Yeah. I don't care how much of a wigger you
1: are, you still can't say it. Yeah. <laughs> You hear that, Jesse Pinkman? We were just talking about you. <laughs>
0: uh, not even if you're a beastie boy.
1: It's <laughs> a true story.
0: <laughs> um, and the, the, basically threatens the black guy with a knife and then stands up all braggerty and the black guy hits him over the head with a lead pipe. Dead. But everybody at the site is like, despite the fact they were a little intimidated by this kid, we're like, when the cops come, they're like, that shit fell on him, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. About. It's weird. And it's basically how the death of this kid affects his whole family, affects the town. Uh, it's also, like, the weird storyline that dominates a lot of this is with, um, uh, what's the name of the act- this actor there? Uh, the,
1: oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Eddie Marzane? No. Nope. Caleb Landry Jones? No, nope. another famous actor. Uh, oh, uh, you're talking about John Turturro? Nope. No. No. John,
0: John Turturro plays, like, the best friend of, of uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman who works with him. They're like small-time con criminals.
1: And the only other um, name I see here that I recognize is Richard Jenkins. That's it, Richard
0: Aha! Jenkins. Ba-do-ba-do-do. He plays like the one famous guy in this town who's this journalist who's worked for the local rag newspaper forever. And everybody's like, you're such a good writer. Like, young, hot college chicks sleep with him because he's, like, well-known for all these species. What? Um, but, yeah, I know. This what is, town is this? There's a scene where this totally hot girl is laying in bed next to him trying to jerk him off where he's like, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> like, the, I
1: appreciate the I had, effort. The, but... I had
0: 18 shots of whiskey tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this ain't happening.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't care
0: how young and hot you are. <laughs> but he... <laughs> You know, his story didn't really seem to have anything to do with anything. It just kind of leads towards the climax. And there's a whole thing where he's trying to basically seduce Christina Hendrix's character in a slimy way. And I'm just not sure why. I was even like, why are they even together? Mm-hmm. And that's really more than anything what kind of pulls this down as his storyline. Despite the fact that he's really good with what he's got. Mm-hmm. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? Right. Why is this storyline even part of this? Ultimately, i got to say, this was interesting for the performances uh certainly i want to see more from john slattery but like maybe get a better script next time
1: yeah yeah well that that tends to be a a problem with first-time directors is that they well what i mean by first-time directors who were actors themselves is that you always or you very often get great performances because they know the actor the actor's process they know how to get great performances out of people but, you know, in, in terms of, I mean, you really have to work with the writer, work with the editor, and, you know, form a collaboration that, that fires in all, sil- all cylinders or you get something like this.
0: Yeah. An oh, just okay film that should have been great. And
1: there you go. Well, moving on from there, we're going to go to the new Blu-ray release of Prom Night... Everything is alright Barrel, barrel Crazy disco music Barrel, barrel I didn't even go to my prom night
0: I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to my homecoming I didn't go to prom night I was one of those kids that was like, fuck
1: you Establishment Yeah Yeah, no, no, no You really showed them, Chris I did By not it's, drinking punch And, still and renting reeling. a tux
0: Yeah, we were out by the lake In a campfire With a bunch of punks Drinking beer and smoking pot And getting laid You, You showed them In retrospect, I gotta say I actually made the right decision.
1: Well, you know, it's it's true. You probably did.
0: Well, because they all died when the slasher film <laughs> right. came in.
1: No, no, no. At this yeah. particular prom, absolutely you and made the I right decision. I could have
0: nailed Jimmy Lee Curtis, but still.
1: Well, the, you know, what might have been. Brom Knight is a 1980 slasher film. Actually kind of a seminal one because, you know, we talk a lot about... We've talked a lot about slasher films. we talked about the early ones, the Black Christmases, the Halloweens. Um, the thing about all of those movies is that they're... Very influenced by Italian giallo, mm. they're very influenced by the very specific subset of Italian horror. And prom night, what I love so much about it—Twitch of the Death Nerve, Twitch of the Death
0: Nerve—arguably the, the first, you know, modern
1: slasher film. Bird with a crystal plumage, like these, you know, these very early uh, Italian, um, you know, crazy killer on the loose type movies. And what I love so much about prom night is it is the one to me that feels the most directly. Um, beholden to the giallo genre because, I mean, this movie is filled with, like, smoky dream-like hallways oh, yeah. and glinting shards of glass and knives. Lots and of a, use of color. Lots of use of color. Lots of leather, uh, of, like the black glove of the killer and the, the mask. I mean, it feels like an Italian horror film from start In to some finish. In ways, yeah. yeah. In a lot of ways it yeah. does, yeah. And I, I really like that about it. I mean, it's still certainly... <sighs>
0: I mean, it wasn't one of the earliest of the American slashers, and it still is equally influenced by the things that came before it. Sure it is. But I would say that, like, the slasher genre hadn't really hit full force yet either, and it's better than the grand majority of the lot that was around it. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's not generally the world's biggest fan of slasher films, even with this, I was like, it was all right. Yeah. I mean, I like it. I just don't think it's like... I don't think the years have been kind to it, ultimately.
1: Yeah, and it does, like, apart from... I mean, it does have some really quality stuff in it. Like, there's one death in here with a, a decapitation at the prom where the head rolls out that I thought was really effective. But there, there, it has its oddball charms as well. I mean, you have Leslie Nielsen playing the principal of the high school, and it's just like... There's for, a killer on the loose. Surely you must be joking. <laughs> I'm not joking, and don't call me Shirley. I'm just like, somebody throw a pie, for God's sake. Like, right. I know Leslie Nielsen was a serious actor first, but i can't i just can't i can't do serious Every season, you're
0: just on you're on pins and needles waiting for him to make a pun
1: it yeah right it is true that this movie is slightly devoid of comedy slightly and then his nose starts growing <laughs> uh but yeah i mean this obviously was a big hit for uh for jamie lee curtis solidifying her along with halloween and the fog as the you know one of the preeminent the scream queen. queens yeah. um but yeah i think what another one of the oddball things is like there's this dumpy like Jufro kid who turns out who's driving around in a van could not be more of a loser and yet is able to talk his way into this really hot girl's pants.
0: Yeah that whole part of this is just kind of baffling to me because they establish that like okay she's not as hot as the other girls so therefore she's a total nerd and can't yeah. get men. Yeah. So she goes with this guy who's clearly three or four grades below her
1: in high school <laughs> who drives, I just thought you meant an attractiveness. Who, who drives
0: a van like out of like in in a way that comes right out of the textbook 80s douchebag guy manual yeah.
1: you know like hit, it, it is hit. literally an Ario speed wagon that's it, what it is that's what he's driving around in
0: and like what is going on why would she go with that guy but you know what if that's the worst thing you've got to suspend your disbelief for
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing pretty well here and this is another another thing that's very typical of giallo that ended up following suit into slasher films is the whole like someone who was wronged years before someone who's getting revenge for something that happened years and years especially in their childhood this movie starts with that childhood event and uh it's basically about the the kids that were involved that have now grown up and are being stalked by someone who mysteriously seems to know what it is that they did
0: it's funny that some of the cues in this i remember more from the satire film student bodies
1: do, you remember that <laughs> yeah, movie? I, do I do remember like, there's that a movie.
0: lot of stuff in student bodies that parodies prom night you know strangely
1: enough still my favorite line in, in student bodies is i'm gonna kill the kid with the gum
0: because he keeps
1: stepping in gum in the pov shots <laughs> oh man but yeah this is you know we've been actually waiting for a decent blu-ray release of this i mean whether you like slasher films or not this is kind of a this is kind of an important title to the history of horror. I mean, this, is, this was a big deal. And it was strange to me that we didn't have a decent Blu-ray for a long time. It
0: was a little weird considering how much effort has been put in lately, especially in the horror genre, into re-releasing a lot of the classics. Yeah. I mean, some of the films that were released before this that are just minor footnotes was, like, very surprising in the context of that. Maybe there was a bit of a battle for the rights. The thing it could is with be. With this movie, when it came out... It, even though the critics hated it, it was a monster financial oh, success for them. It was like a drive in staple and got re released several times. Um, so, and plus, there was a remake not that long ago, so maybe there was some sensitivity oh with the studio. Like, we're not sure, we want to just hand this to somebody else. But thank God they handed it to Scream Factory, who, as usual, did actually, a bang-up no. job.
1: No, it's uh, oh, it's Synapse, that? actually. Oh, that... well, they're... Synapse is like the other Scream Factory. Well, yeah, it was actually surprising <laughs> to me, considering that... Because they're equally as good. They are, absolutely. Considering the the Halloween sequels and The Fog were both released by Scream Factory, I was surprised this wasn't released by them. But Synapse, i got to tip my hat to them, they did not skimp on... Uh, not only the the picture, the picture quality or the special features. I mean, this is a new high-definition transfer from the original 35 negative. Yeah. Like, they went all out with this. And they've added a host of exclusive Blu-ray content. They've added a lot of content from the DVD. But then they also have um, never-before-seen outtakes from the movie, which is incredible. They also added original radio spots and uh, a still gallery on top of all the other stuff that came over from the DVD, one of which was, uh, this is a, this is something about horror movies in the late 70s, early 80s, that really it really kind of delights me, is that there were instances where they would show it on TV. And because they had to cut out certain violent scenes for TV, the runtime would be too short. Yeah. So they would actually have additional footage that they would shoot as they were making the movie, knowing this ahead of time, they would shoot additional material to be part of the TV edit. You see, there's Halloween. Actually, famously has a couple of scenes that uh, you know are only, only exist in the in the TV version. Yeah,
0: there's a bunch of different horror movies that 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 have the the longer TV yeah. version of it. I think Prince of Darkness even had stuff like that on. I think the, on you're right.
1: Blu-ray. Yeah, and it, so uh, one of the things they ported over from the DVD is the additional footage for the television broadcast. And I always love it when they do that because it's I don't know. There's just something about that history about the fact that. They knew ahead of time that it was going to be edited for television. They're like, oh, well, let's add shit to it. Like, even though it really isn't going to be seen in the theaters, it's only going to be for television. Let's do it anyway. And that that stuff kind of adds an extra layer to the the mythos of the horror film. Uh, But yeah, again, I got to tip my hat to Synapse. I think they did a bang up job with this. And, yeah, Good. this this is going to be my pick of the week, honestly.
0: I, I wish I could go there with you. I, like I said, I still think, like, dated-wise, this is, like... Oh, it's it, super dated. It's only interesting to me in the sense of its historical value, because ultimately, if they made this film shot for shot today, you'd be
1: like, wow, that was a totally bland horror film. It, I mean, it's absolutely dated. You could have called this movie Disco Killer.
0: Yeah, you true. absolutely could well, have well I have really enjoyed the disco scenes Yes, to, which they used as the menu even the whole disco dance <laughs> sequence
1: I was like just coming out of seeing Can't
0: Stop the Music at yeah. Cargill's birthday party I'm like hey I, I kind of <laughs> like these disco scenes
1: better that that may be that. you know what that may have helped me because Cargill and I actually just did an episode of Junk Food Cinema where we talked about Can't Stop the Music Skate Town USA and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band oh, good lord. so my head is already in the weird campiness of this exact era that I was just like yeah more of this please Oh, fantastic. Well, that is Prom Night. Thank you, Synapse, for releasing such a great Blu-ray of that. And moving on from there, we're going to talk about words and pictures. These are two things.
0: These are two things that are
1: things that are in this movie. Yeah, we can give you the words, but you can't see the pictures on the radio.
0: Well, this is the return of Clive Owen, even though apparently, <laughs> the <return> he's, of- <laughs> apparently he's got a really good television show now, I keep hearing about. Really? So he's like a medical, like, like a sort of on the edge of like science medical uh, forensic doctor in like Victorian times or something like that. He's Ichabod
1: uh, Crane yeah, in Sleepy Hollow. It's a
0: cable network. I forget what it's called, but it's supposed to be great. Everybody keeps talking about is it. Is it
1: The Nick? This. Is that the name of it?
0: I don't, yes, I think okay. that's it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I keep I've had multiple people tell me you've got to see the show and I ha- I have not watched it yet. Have but to take this a look? is not that. Oh, this, this is not that. Modern day where he is plays a teacher at a private school who's beloved by his students. But suffers from severe alcoholism. I mean, he just cannot this is, stop. Drinking. I wish we could relate to that, right? He just keeps <laughs> drinking and drinking. Uh, and he's an English teacher, and it's fun watching him. It's got that whole kind of, you know, any classic teacher movie type feel in his scenes with a class where you're like, that's, it. I wish I had had teachers like that.
1: Very dead poet you know? society.
0: Yeah, very dead poet society. Yeah. Um, so you like him despite all his problems. Now, enter a new teacher in the school, played by Juliette Binoche, who is a very different type of personality than he is. She's very introverted, she's very closed off, she was once an extremely successful artist, like very famous, but she hasn't painted anything in years because, as it turns out, she has the kind of rheumatoid arthritis that makes her, you know, almost like somebody with MS. She's like can barely move her hands most of the time. Literally she has like gloves she wears so she can strap giant sized paintbrushes into them so she can even use them at all. Wow. Like and she's constantly in pain. I mean that happens with some people. I have RA and I have like a very mild form of it by comparison. Some people curl up like Stephen Hawking. Holy you cow. Know? Yeah. And and it can change overnight, which is kind of scary. She's one of the ones who got it bad. And she and he sort of start off a sort of friendly rivalry with, as she's the art teacher and he's the English teacher, about which is worth more artistically. Mm. Like, which describes things better? A picture, you know, does it speak a thousand
1: words or, or words? Or actually a thousand actually words. A thousand words.
0: <laughs> and on that level, it's interesting maybe not as, it toys with being intellectual. It toys with being smarter than it actually is if you will I kind of would have preferred if they just said fuck it but this was clearly aimed at a wide theatrical release which it did in fact get in fact they screened it for us but we didn't go see it
1: no (laughs) because we're terrible at our jobs terrible (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: and you know there's an enjoyable interplay between the two of them that ultimately crashes and burns you know about halfway through the pick as he just cannot control himself from being a giant douchebag when he's drinking you know, he's got a son that's estranged from him. His son wants nothing to do with him because of how many problems he has. And he's about to lose his job at the school because he just fucks up so much. But it's a shame because he's really like, but he actually is a good teacher. And, you know, it's ultimately it's sort of like a, a feel-good movie for liberals, <laughs> if you will. But if that sounds good to you, you'll probably like this. I'm a liberal. I like this for what it's worth, but I think it's probably going to lose its taste with me in another, like in my memory for in another month or two. I'll be like, oh yeah I did see that movie. I mean, I like both those actors. You know we haven't seen either one of them in anything for a while It's nice seeing them work together but it just is what it is It's a little footnote of a romantic comedy that wants to be more than what it is but doesn't quite have the guts to reach for it. it feels like a movie if Woody Allen had written this it would have been Great. You know, really mm. smart and really clever. But as it is, it's like, eh.
1: <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Enjoyed it for what it's worth. Fair enough. Well, I hope... Not, tri- te- not terrible. Not Highest t- review. Not terrible, Chris Cox. I hope he painted you a nice picture with his words there. Yes. We're moving on to Any Given Sunday. I can't believe I never saw this movie. I actually agree with you. on I can't believe I never saw... I. It's funny, too, because there's a quote from this movie... That I drop every once in a while, just because it's it's something that I guess was in the trailer or something, where Pacino's like, He may sell a lot of t-shirts, but he's tearing this team apart! <laughs> and here's the thing, I think it's, it's pretty obvious by now uh, that I like football. I like sports a lot, and particularly football.
0: Football is the sport I m- most... Don't dislike. Good,
1: good. Yeah. Again, highest of praise. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I really like about football is it does have this weird sort of gladiatorial nature to it. Sure. Like, it is a very violent game. And it's very, like, it, it. the fandom and the fervor for this sport is kind of overwhelming. It's a little on the crazy side. It is a little on the crazy side. Like, I'll, I'll gladly count myself in, in that group. It is It is insane how wrapped up, you know, we can get in this, in this game. And I feel like that's what Oliver Stone is able to capture in this movie.
0: He's both for it and against it, though. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no. He is, he's not, uh, he's not a, like a, a. no, he is a diehard fan. That's not what I'm trying to say. He's not, he's not an apologist. No, he
0: is both Admiring and critiquing what has grown out of that
1: fanaticism. Right, absolutely, and I, and I think there's a great scene right at the beginning, where uh, they're okay. So, the plot here is that uh, Al Pacino plays the coach of this Miami football team, and um, what happens is that in in their are you know they've they've lost several games in a row, but they're still in it for the playoff hunt, and they have a big game at the beginning of the film, and right. It, it, when he's most needed, their veteran quarterback, a guy who's been the most valuable player of the league multiple times, played by Dennis Quaid, gets injured. And they're forced to bring in the second-string quarterback who then also promptly gets injured. Uh, so they're forced to rely on their third-string quarterback, a kid they picked up in the seventh round of the draft, uh, who's played by Jamie Foxx. But the, the scene particularly nods to what Chris is talking about because what happens is that... They are doing everything they possibly can to get Dennis Quaid, whose back may be broken, back on the field because it's obvious they care more about winning the game than preserving this guy's health, which I think is is one of the the biggest critiques of football and and exists to this day. Like this movie came out in 1999, and it's interesting because some of the things that happen in that early game in the film. Uh, there's no way it could happen now because the the penalties have, have <laughs> changed to the, to the point that you can't, like, for example, there's a hit on Jamie Foxx, like, a full minute after the ball is thrown. It's like, yeah. nope, that would have been flagged. That guy would have been out of the game. Out of the game, absolutely, but... That being said, the the issues that that Oliver Stone is bringing to light here the the idea that the fanaticism for winning and for you know the the commercial success of the game can overshadow the need to protect the health of the players. I mean that's going on right now with uh, the issue of concussion injuries and and how it deals with brain damage
0: and also deals with like the way that they're overprotective of players who act like complete douchebags. Mm-hmm. You know like. Hey, we're going to let them do whatever they want. Because oh my God,
1: is that a problem they're, they're right society.
0: now? Oh yeah, I mean that's very key to what's going on right now yeah. in sports. Uh, it deals with like the way money has sort of corrupted those decisions because mm-hmm. this is just an excuse to print money as as a team owner. The way that it deals with stadiums being built by bribery, basically, you know, yeah. cities paying for this stuff. There's a lot of themes that he's going on here, a lot of I- ideas that Stone is exploring in the context of, like, the corruption and the, like, hey, maybe this got too big for its own good, Uh maybe we should go back to when it was pure idea, and strangely enough, despite how bombastic this film is, Stone does manage to straddle that line most of the time pretty nicely between saying, no, this is a beautiful game and
1: wait, this game got totally fucked up. Well, yeah, and he he does that. Like, he's obviously, he has a critical message of the game, but at the same time, the way the actual game footage is shot is absolutely beautiful, and it's incredibly exciting. Like, I don't care if you don't like football at all. The the actual game scenes in this movie are really exciting. Well,
0: yeah, and he shoots the whole thing in a way that is very reflective of the way football games are shot nowadays and the way they're done. Lots of things whooshing.
1: Mm-hmm. Whoosh, Lots of whoosh. Whoosh. Yeah. Here's the
0: scores. Whoosh. Here's the interview with a player. Whoosh. Hey, is that Aaron Eckhart? Whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I think if I have a criticism, it's that this feels so Oliver Stone at this period of time Mm -hmm. that it can be a little cloying at points for such a long movie. yeah. You go, okay, we get it. We know what you were like at this period of time. Personally, I kind of liked it better when he was experimenting with the stuff in Natural Born Killers, Mm -hmm. for me, when it was, like, so on the... It was so, like, it was kind of the point in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think it really hurts this film. If anything hurts it, it's just some of the performances are, like, it feels like... Stone is less interested in the performances of his actors than he is in moving his camera around.
1: Well he's what he's interested in, in my opinion, in this film, especially with the the actor's cast to play some of the players, is he's interested in huge personalities. Yeah. And whether or not those personalities of those actors actually benefit the movie, benefit the the character, is second, you know, it's it's sort of a, a second priority for him. And it's all about finding that big person. I will say though, um, I really liked some of the some of the like this is an amazing cast like Al Pacino, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, James Woods, Jamie Foxx, uh, Matthew Modine, LL Cool J, Jim Brown, uh, and Margaret, Aaron Eckhart. Like you could just keep going down the yeah. list. Charlton Heston plays the football commissioner Ooh, briefly.
0: Oh my God! And he Pretty much walks. To, he has a West Wing say scene where he walks down a hallway.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, I will say Cameron Diaz. Poor Cameron Diaz, who at this point was really just. Starting to try and become a serious actress, she's so out of her league here with the actress she <laughs> <to work> <laughs> she's so i mean she really is she does not have the talent to keep up with somebody like Pacino and it's Really obvious when you're watching their scenes together. Yeah. That boy, she is just stymied by trying to keep up with them. And I think that's probably the biggest pitfall this film has, but it is a very enjoyable sports film nonetheless. I had a lot of fun with it. The running time went by like that, just like, wow, it's over already? Yeah. I mean, it moves really fast. You're not going to be bored watching this movie, and it's an early Jamie Foxx win.
1: That's yeah. Actor, yeah, absolutely you know. it is. I, just Yeah, like I said, Jamie Foxx is there third-string quarterback, and it's also sort of about how success in any professional sport can go go to someone's head in a really devastatingly self-destructive way. And uh, I will say that if you like Shouty Pacino, if you think, I like Dog Day Afternoon, but I wish he had learned to start screaming earlier, you're gonna like this film. This this is is one of his... Like,
0: big speeches and big raising his voice and shaking his fist movies.
1: And his mouth becomes as enormous as Laura Dern's in Jurassic Park. Like, <laughs> it is unbelievable. Like, to the point that I almost think he based his performance off of former Steelers uh, head coach Bill Cowher. And what I always thought was hilarious about Bill Cowher is when he started shouting, his mouth was so huge, he had this giant square jaw and this big mouth that just copious amounts of spit would come flying out. And it was always the joke that people, the opposing... Team fans would wear like uh, like ponchos and and uh, visors, and it was like you know the cower splash guard or whatever.
0: A lot of people don't know this—a little bit of Hollywood trivia. But the close-up scenes in Jurassic Park with the T-Rex, like when it's biting down on the truck, that was actually Laura Dern. Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah, yeah. Fantastic! You learn something new to every tell day. With
0: the close-ups, but yeah. Hooah!
1: Throw the ball, Hoo-ah! Mm. What are uh, the extra features on this thing? The extra features on this thing. Well, first of all, this is both the director's cut and the uh, the DVD original cut. Um, now, given that I hadn't seen this movie before, I can't really tell you what the difference is between yeah. the two cuts. Yeah. But knowing Oliver Stone, it's probably about six hours longer. Yes, of and it's <laughs> probably a little bit more violent. Um, but man, there is a the Oliver Stone fuck it edition, the Oliver Stone <laughs> fuck it. We'll do it live edition. Um, there is, there's six minutes of previously, uh, unreleased footage. There's a commentary by Oliver Stone. There's a commentary by Jamie Foxx. Uh, there's a making of documentary. There's deleted scenes. There's three music videos, including L- Yeah. That's the thing that needs to be pointed out. Both LL Cool J and Jamie Foxx had and I guess still have music careers yeah. at the time this movie came out so we have an LL Cool J video called Shut Him Down and Jamie Foxx's Any Given Sunday and My Name is Willie I don't know about those yeah uh, Jamie Foxx's audition tape there's a gag reel there's a football like there's so much stuff yeah, on this blu-ray this with features if this is incredible like
0: this, movie, this is like the ultimate edition of it this is my pick of the week personally I thought this was a lot of fun and just given all the extra features I was like yeah, it's hard to argue with this. It's a good pick.
1: It's, it's just a—it's just a lot of fun. Um, Although, if you're a quarterback, you don't want a lot of good. You don't want a lot of picks. This is a good pick, but you don't want a lot of them. I don't. Understand it's an interception. That. I'll explain it later. Don't worry about it.
0: sorry i fumbled the ball brian whoa
1: it's funny when you're talking about the running time and i was like but what about the passing time (laughs) i don't don't get that okay Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i've been flagged for inappropriate references so we're gonna move on to the victim which is the movie i'm most disappointed i didn't get a chance to watch this week because it looked really awesome
0: i really like this film a lot this is sort of a british boys in the hood if you were Um, oh okay with very strong performances from a young cast. And some critics, you know, it's funny, it was kind of mixed. Cause some critics loved it, and some were like, a little more like, yeah, it's good, but it's nothing we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's ultimately true. Yeah. I mean, it is certainly reminiscent of other films that were, you know, about the same subject young sure. criminals trying to get out of the life. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then watching. As we all would like to do
0: someday, and then, right? Watching Chris? Younger, no, and then watching <laughs> younger criminals try and get into the life. It really does work, and it's partially because you're—it's this slice of life for these kids in London in a very different scene, like going through this. You've got your like main character is this black guy who is the oldest guy. He filled with the, his friends. He's built this gang that regularly pulls smash and grabs on people's houses, uh, and they've been building up their money. But the thing is, he's got a kid. Uh, he wants to get out of this and make a real life for himself. Uh, he's been saving all his money so he can buy the house he lives in because otherwise he's going to get kicked out because his mom is a crack addict who you know, shows up at one point just to rob all his shit. <laughs> you know, uh, she basically fucked the, the, fucked the bank hard and now he's paying back all this money. His goal is to get done with that. And his other friends just want to keep doing what they're doing. But he meets this new girl who's the cousin of... You know, another girl who kind of has the hots for him. And she's the sweet country girl, you know, actually comes from money, and she's just there to see the city and stay with her cousin. And our hero kind of finds the, gets the hots for her, but in a very sort of nice, polite, gentlemanly
1: way, if you will. Because uh, he is British after all. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's so British, he shits
1: the queen. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite British expression. <laughs> they don't say it, I do. <laughs> so it's your favorite expression that you say about... British Tea, people. biscuits, yes. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad.
0: Um, and of course, you know, nothing goes how he wants it to go, <laughs> and it t- turns into a a one last job type of scenario. Mm. You know, that never goes well. And there's a lot of real palpable tension between these characters, and some really solid performance between performances with all these kids, each of which you get to know just enough about to see why they're as fucked up as they are. And sure. kind of, you, even though they're all little scummy criminals breaking into people's houses, you ultimately like pretty much all of them for one reason or another as you re- the film does make you understand them and it plays, it plays, it comes to the end in this, like, it very clearly stating its premise, which is, what is a victim? Is mm-hmm. a victim just someone who's hit by a crime? Is a victim somebody whose whole life they were victimized so they became a criminal? And like this, Exploration of the way we think of the term "victim" okay. and who the criminals are in society and the way we treat them, and I actually found it very interesting. Like I said, more than anything, "Boys in the Hood" is what kept coming to my brain, if for no other reason that it's the, one of the best other films I've seen about this subject specifically. Right? Huh. So yeah, really recommend "Victim." It was very close to being my pick of the week, but I think I liked any given
1: Sunday better. So what are you gonna do? Hua ma. So, this next film, which is our last title of the day, and also going to be our giveaway. I just realized I've seen this. This played at Action Fest in 2010. Oh, no kidding. Back when I went to that. Good lord. Yeah, right? Don't
0: you know it's 2014? I did... What the hell? All right, now, I suspect the reason this film is getting a release right now is because they're getting ready to release uh, Iceman, which is a, like a huge wushu martial arts film that they're promoting like crazy and they right. make a lot of money off of. And they both got Donnie Yen in them. And Donnie Yen is kind of turned into like, you know, somewhere Jet Li's like, wait, what about me? It's like, well, you know what? Donnie Yen was always more talented than you were just he wasn't as pretty when he was younger. Now Jet Li's getting not so pretty and Donnie Yen's aging well. And they're like, oh yeah, Donnie Yen, here you did go. Did you say he's Asian well? No, I did not, What a weird racist. thing to
1: say. It's just <laughs> odd, Chris. <laughs> you
0: you racist. <laced. laughs>
1: and we're back. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Uh, I think Donnie Yen has been for 20 plus years one of the best martial art artists working in film. I just most people re- only realized it recently with the Ip Man films, which are obviously just phenomenal. Uh, God, I hope he works with Gareth Edwards at some point. Right? Just, oh man, he's so fast and he's so has this. He's manages to do this stuff where he's so steady and calm while he's moving so quickly. Right? Yeah, and he really gets the the sense of impact just right. I love Donnie again, Absolutely. I think this is was probably treated as a film. They were like, okay. It's a Wushu film that's mired heavily in Chinese history. And most Europeans and Americans aren't really going to completely know what's going on with the story here. Mm-hmm. So the the Blu-ray comes with what I suspect were added on a lot of little explanatory titles. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it's a period piece. Yeah. Uh, with mercenaries and, like... like The idea is there's 14 Blades, which you never really get to know much about, strangely enough. Like, there's, there's this group of, like, people who are the ultimate badasses who work for the Emperor. And uh, Jet Li's kind of the head of the ultimate badasses. Like, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And he gets fucked by the uncle of the Emperor who wants to, like... Perform a coup for the throne, and is sent out on a mission he's never intended to 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 come back from, so he can try and take the throne over. It's like by stealing the imperial seal for some reason in China. All you needed to be emperor was have the imperial seal.
1: Possession is nine tenths of the dynasty. That was
0: pretty much it. You had that thing; it was done. Everyone's like, "Oh, he's got the seal; it's over." It's, you know, I mean, you, you pull some Yu-Gi-Oh shit out with right? you, I mean, like, you can pull as many Pokemon out of that shit that shit as you want.
1: Yeah, that's not gonna turn Prince Adam into He-Man. I'm no, sorry, it will not. Doesn't work that way. I probably way.
0: shouldn't be mixing up Japanese and Chinese, but
1: still, <laughs> that's fine. I mixed it with Masters of the Universe. <laughs> you yeah, so. it did.
0: It's all getting very we're all
1: over the place here.
0: But he, uh, like ends up having to reluctantly defend the defenseless uh, as he is trying to get the seal back to the emperor, the real emperor, and or recover the seal and get it back to the real emperor, and uh, finds himself, even though somebody was always just devoted purely and simply to what he did, you know, I mean, like, this is my job, I never intended, I'm, I don't, you don't get married, you don't have kids, you don't really have hobbies, you know, you don't even read comic books, you pretty much just go out and kill people when they tell you to. Uh, and, and he starts to actually have feelings for this girl and make friends with smaller people and understand the, what's wrong with the kingdom type of thing. Fortunately, not much of the film is mired down into like, trying to over-explain all that stuff. Most of this is just pretty much Donnie Yen kicking the shit out of a bunch of people being able to practically fly.
1: And that's what we like to see.
0: And having this weird box thing. The idea of the actual 14 Blades... Every one of these guys has this collection of blade fourteen blades that come in this box that folds open rather quickly, mm. and each one has is only used for a very specific type of use.
1: Like I have a very specific set of knives.
0: Exactly, and you know you got this one is for people who steal from the kingdom. This one is for people who cheat on their wives. This one is for people who cheat on their taxes. This one is for people who fall asleep during an episode of Digital Noise. This is the one for the butter that won't spread correctly on it, the toast. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the last one being the one. Well, if you fuck up. This is the one you use to kill yourself. And so there's a lot made of him kind of staring mournfully at it, deciding whether or not he's fucked up yet and right. yet to take his own life. I think the worst thing about this film is just that
1: it's kind of confusing. Yeah. <laughs> well, know? and a lot of these, you know, a lot of these historical epics, I, I hate to say it, and maybe it's going to make me sound like an ignorant American, but I find a lot of these historical epics kind of confusing. Yeah. And I think it, it is sort of a, a cultural divide problem.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a, you know if we were, I'm sure a lot of Chinese people watch The Patriot when I don't get
1: it, but <laughs> a lot of people in this country watch The Patriot when I don't. Get it. Yeah, true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they watch Gettysburg. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even get Gettysburg completely. I was like, wait, what? Hold on, let me look up on Wikipedia. I don't know what was happening. I'm gonna
1: look it up on Google Maps. But I think I'm, there's a Gettysburg address I can look up
0: from Virginia. I should know this shit. I
1: don't. So, <laughs> well done, well done. All I know is a bunch of plaques that are like George Washington took a shit here. Well, <laughs> way to represent the Commonwealth, Chris. Oh, yeah, way to right. go. <laughs> but
0: this really is a fun movie. I mean, there's a lot of Donnie Yen just kicking ass and flying mm-hmm. around and doing really impressive stunt work. I had a lot of fun with this, despite it, you know, having to decipher it to some degree. Sure, sure. I, and I think this is a film that any martial arts, especially wushu fans. Are gonna go. This is better than ninety percent of the stuff they pump out on a regular basis. So well, I think it's a, a really good giveaway. Something people will enjoy, and we have a, we actually just have
1: a DVD of it. Okay, we have a DVD copy of Fourteen Blades, and here's how you can win the giveaway. First thing you're gonna want to do is follow at one of net on Twitter, and I want you to tweet at us, and I want you to think about this. So imagine a very obscure era in American history or in the history of American pop culture and then I want you to give us the very grandiose sounding title for the movie you would make about that era and then just a one sentence explanation as to what it's about. I will give you an example. My movie would be called Slammed and it would be about the rise and fall of the Pog in America. Oh my god. This is what I want you to do. So you come up with a really grandiose sounding title and then tell us uh, what that movie is about. What obscure uh, era of American history or American pop culture that movie is about. Hashtag at 14 Blades giveaway. We'll pick our favorite. That person will win a copy on DVD. I'll send that shit to you myself. He'll send it directly to your ass. God damn right I will. Oh yeah. Yeah, I might even hide in that package and pop up. Oh shit! No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. That's, we we got in trouble for that once, so we can't we can't do that anymore. Wait, when did I do that? Yeah, well, we erased <laughs> it from your memory so that you wouldn't do it again.
0: What? I told you not to mess with my memories, Brian.
1: Did you flashy thing me? Don't mess with me. Did you flashy thing me? I did, in fact. Flash ah, me. damn it. Well, that's gonna bring us to the end of this episode of Digital Noise. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how next week is gonna work. I do want to warn you because we will still be at Fantastic Fest. Next week
0: is going to be some stuff we recorded ahead of time Mm. uh, with two guests. Oh, fantastic. Frank reviewing a whole slew of Kaiju films and with Catherine Burke from the old Liog reviewing, I called it Cat on the CW, reviewing a slew (laughs) of CW shows.
1: So when I said I don't know what next week is going to be like, I just meant that I hadn't asked Chris yet. Yep, that's the answer. All right, good. We have a plan. I love it when a plan comes together. So yeah, I uh, want to remind you once again. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at DigiNoiseCast at One of Us net. You can follow us individually. I'm at BryGuySalisbury. Salisbury. I'm at
0: Chris Cox Critic.
1: And you can also like the website on Facebook. Facebook.com/slash one of us net and please do use those amazon links every movie we talked about will have its own amazon link if you click on that image it'll take you to amazon if you do, if you don't buy that item as long as you get to amazon via that link it still benefits the site and we really do appreciate that and please do become a subscriber I uh, hope you enjoy following all the fantastic fest coverage that we will be doing this week but for now i will end the show as i always do reminding you that no release is too big no release is too small from criterion to catastrophe we review them all can i sleep now yeah i'm gonna take a nap